I'm Will McHenry, the Program Associate at Ponars Eurasia, and with us today is Volodymyr Ishenko, a lecturer in the Department of Sociology at Kyiv Polytechnic Institute. Volodymyr, thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Some experts believe that Ukraine, since the Maidan uprising, has become a more cohesive, has become more cohesive and united. That even a new civic nation has been born. Why do you disagree with them? Uh, thank you for this question. Indeed, uh, many scholars try to measure the changes in the national identity of Ukrainians, and quite many polls are showing that more Ukrainians than before are. Uh, uh, regard themselves as U- the citizens of Ukraine and more of them feel themselves Ukrainian uh, compared to, uh, that to the situation as it used to be. Uh, however, I believe there is uh, uh, too much exaggeration uh, that is made from these uh, service studies uh, the differences between the regions are not uh, they may be diminishing but they uh, they're pretty much still there they are very much still significant on many political and historical issues so, uh, and uh, the most important thing uh, that is uh, overlooked that the real governmental policies uh, were not inclusive for all Ukrainians, regardless of what they think about history or or politics or geopolitics or the recent events in Maidan and, and the war in Donbass, but they were actually pretty much exclusive and based on a nationalist interpretation of history and a nationalist interpretation of 2014 events. Uh, so what we've actually seen is the increase uh, of the state uh, support and use uh, by the state of the symbolism of uh, the organization of Ukrainian nationalists and Ukrainian insurgent army, uh, which uh, during the Second World War conducted uh, the war crimes, and they've been pretty much uh, uh, close to the fascist movements of the interwar Europe, though this is a big discussion, but nevertheless, they were revolutionary nationalists. And the decommunization, which is the state policy, and involved the banning of the Communist Party of Ukraine, uh, dismantling of uh, all the Soviet Romanian monuments on the large part in, in the large part of Ukraine, uh, renaming cities and streets, and so on, and plus uh, Ukrainianization, expansion of the use of Ukrainian language uh, in the public sphere, uh, that has always been. Uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, so the expansion of Ukrainian language was always uh, connected with diminishing the use of Russian language and uh, the repression of dissenting opinions about Maidan and uh, the war in Donbass so it's uh, become much more difficult to, to, to say that for example Maidan was not really a revolution of dignity or that the war in Donbass uh, was uh, a civil war, or even if with a uh, strong Russian involvement there. And we've seen uh, the repression of the opposition media, of the uh, dissenting bloggers, activists, uh, uh, some politicians, and, uh, and it's been 
both uh, done by the government and also on the extra uh, legal level. By extra legal level, uh, extra legal repressions are, are done mostly by the radical nationalists and other vigilant groups, but there is also a, a governmental repressions, the faked uh, um, criminal cases against the opposition media, the searches, the uh, attempts to intimidate by the security service, uh, some coordinated attacks uh, by the governmental officials and radical nationalists with whom they are allegedly uh, very connected. So all of this uh, cannot be regarded as uh, an inclusive uh, civic policies and they're pretty much dangerous and uh, they, they lead to further nationalist radicalization. Why is this nationalist radicalization happening? Is it not because of the war in Donbass? Yeah, that would be a, a usual explanation that uh, during the war, the war we cannot allow uh, democracy, but uh, un uh, unfortunately, no, not uh, these policies are not helping to win the war. First of all, because they exacerbate the uh, internal divisions within Ukraine, they 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 make all, the, all those cleavages within the pretty diverse country uh, stronger and deeper, and uh, the policy that would be. Uh, um, uh, helpful actually to, to 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 build a stronger Ukraine against uh, Russia would would be specifically helping to unite different Ukrainians of different opinions about history and politics uh, against Putin government, not against Russian language or communist uh, legacy or, and and so on. So these policies are actually harmful for Ukraine. And also, they cannot be explained by uh, the <clears throat> the ideology of the of the decision makers. Uh, they cannot be explained by uh, majority support from Ukrainian voters, because almost all of those policies that actually do not have majority support, even if we look only at the governmental controlled areas and Crimea and Donbas. The, uh, the separatist part of Donbas, they are e even less supporting them, obviously. And uh, I explain these uh, tendencies with the uh, interaction of uh, the oligarchic regime, the political regime in Ukraine based on the competing oligarchic patronal pyramids, and uh, the push from uh, the civil society. So for the oligarchs, uh, it's much easier to concede on the nationalist agenda than on reform, anti-corruption agenda. It's much easier to rename the streets, to ban communists, to limit the use of Russian language, and for example, to, dis, uh, to, to, to pass the laws which would uh, make the profits of oligarchs or selective preferences from the states to the oligarchs uh, uh, less and or more difficult. And also it helps to split the opposition, and with, uh, if this history about the Kremlin agents and uh, true patriots is going on, it's very easy to, to split opposition. We've seen this many many times, the most recent examples could be probably the anti-corruption protests led by Mikhail Saakashvili. The government accused him in uh, colluding with some Russian uh, um, uh, former Yanukovych oligarchs. And uh, 
it's also important that uh, if, for example, Poroshenko wouldn't do this, that competing oligarchs like Kolomoisky or Vakov would, would take these issues and uh, attack Poroshenko as, because he is kind of like national traitor or not enough patriot and so on. And But there's also uh, another side of this uh, story, uh, the push from the civil society. And uh, the, the regime uh, became weaker in 2014, uh, it became more dependent on the foreign powers, on the, on the West. And uh, it became uh, weaker compared to the internal um, uh, contenders, internal competitors. So the liberals used the weakness of the regime to promote the anti-corruption agenda, and the Western institutions were pretty helpful in this. So they, they make a strong pressure and demand from Ukraine to introduce anti-corruption institutions. But uh, on the <coughs> the West had not been really uh, interested in the human rights situation in Ukraine. And uh, on the other side, the nationalists, which are much better organized, they have a stronger mobilization potential, they, they have paramilitary resources, they have armed units, they push directly at the government and they pu push this national uh, radicalization policies forward. And the liberals are much weaker, the, they, they do not have strong parties, uh, even compared to the radical nationalists. They, the, the NGOs are have little mobilization potentials because they are think tanks, medias, uh, advocacy organizations, but not community mobilizers. Uh, they, uh, there is a problem with Ukrainian liberalism uh, at all because there is no actual tradition of Ukrainian liberalism, uh, liberalism. There is no institutionalist boundary between the nationalists and liberals that have been always this uh, uh, coalition of uh, nationalists and liberals resur uh, resurrecting at every critical point in 1990, in 2004 during the Orange Revolution, in 2014 during Maidan, and it's still there. Uh, too many declared liberals are in fact moderate nationalists and would agree with uh, radical nationalists on many things, but only would disagree on them that these things like uh, Ukrainization and uh, nationalist politics of memory and decommunization should be uh, less, uh, should be slower, should be less consistent and, uh, and so on, but basically they uh, strive for the same, for the same direction. Uh, what are your expectations about the future developments? Are the nationalist radicalization trends intensifying? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, as far as we have this internal vicious circle when the oligarchs and radical nationalists actually, their interests are colluding in some important places, so we'll have more of this. And particularly because of the elections uh, next year, the nationalist radicalization trends will be escalating. And uh, the many um, candidates, the presidential elections and in the parliamentary elections, will compete with each other precisely on these uh, on these issues: uh, who is more nationalist, who is more patriotic, and uh, the, the accusations of working for Russia, for Kremlin, would be all over there. And um, the elections results are also very it's impossible to predict them now. And in, in, under certain uh, circumstances, uh, the, the possibility for uh, uh, coercive violence, uh, in, in, inter interference in the elections, 
also with the use of uh, the radical nationalist groups is is uh, is pretty likely and in the results of the selections will have uh, an, uh, higher level of hysteria higher level of legitimacy for the nationalist radicalization um, policies and uh, it's uh, uh, I, I expect them to continue accelerate uh, at least in the short term fascinating volodymyr thank you so much for joining us for this ponaris podcast thank you